Good. My summer has been awesome, which means in youth pastor language, that means it's been really busy. Uh, but it's been great. It really has. A lot, of, a lot of things going on in the summer. But listen, I want to, first of all, just uh, bring you greetings from Pastor Matt. He called me last night, right before the service um, last night, and just said he was praying for us and praying for you all, uh, and greetings from him and Arlene. And so um, we, are, we are at a point where um, we're in that part of the summer where I have good news for you today, because today is the beginning of Shark Week on Discovery. Amen? And, uh, and so that's exciting because uh, the, I mean, you know what's going to happen this week, right? If you, you turn it on, you're just going to get sucked into this vortex of the Discover Channel, and, and next thing you know, you're going to be scared to go to the beach um, ever again. But a couple years ago, I got sucked into, it wasn't a Discovery Channel uh, show, it was, a dis, it was a History Channel show, and it was talking about how they made, the, I have a fascination with these um, uh, old wooden ships and and, um, and so I got caught up in this program that was talking about how they were made, how they were maintained after they, they set sail. And, and uh, at the end of that was a commercial for the next show, of course. And the next one was talking about more modern day ships and it was the, how the, the Titanic was built. And of course I got sucked right into that and two good hours of my day just wasted. But interesting story about, because we know about the Titanic, but also interestingly enough, the Titanic was, not, was one of three ships built by the White Star Shipping Line. And back during this era, they built three of these huge ships. We know about the Titanic, but there was also the Olympic and the Britannic. The Olympic, we know what happened to the Titanic. The Olympic was uh, collided with another boat out at sea. All three of these ships had a catastrophic event happen to them while at sea. And interesting, even more interesting, is that uh, you know the, the Olympic hit another uh, another vessel, tore a hole in the side of it, and they had to have rescue boats come out and help it limp back to to uh, to the close enough to the harbor where they could get everybody off. And then the Britannic hit a floating mine, tore a, a, a huge gash in the hull, and it sank actually faster than the Titanic. What's even more interesting than that? is that there was one person on all three of these ships. And her name was Violet Jessup. And Violet first was a passenger on the Olympic which hit that other boat and was rescued and limped back. And then, as a career choice, she became a stewardess on cruise lines and so she was hired by the Titanic. And unfortunately, she was there on that April morning in 1912 um, where 1,500 of the 2,200 passengers perished. But she somehow made it off of the Titanic, made it safely back to shore holding someone else's baby. I guess she thought it was a good move to make a career, choice, uh, career change at that point, and so she did. And so she went to nursing school, and after nursing school, her first assignment was on a, a stationary floating hospital uh, there at, 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 in the bay. It was, uh, it was called the Britannic. And right at the last minute, right before the Britannic was about to be retired and used for nothing else other than to haul cargo up and down the channel, the British Navy commandeered the Britannic and put it out to sea as a floating hospital during that war. And it hit a floating mine. But that's okay because Violet was able to make it as it was sinking, she was able to make it onto a lifeboat. 
but then she fell out of the lifeboat. But that's okay because a few minutes later, that lifeboat got sucked into what was now the recently uh, uh, exposed propeller of the ship, and 30 people on that lifeboat lost their lives. Someone saw her floating and picked her up. She had hit her head, fractured her skull, but someone found her and got her back safely to shore. What are the chances of one person being all, all three of these ships? That's, that's insane. So I guess the, the takeaway for my History Channel Vortex uh, a couple years ago is that if I'm around, if I'm alive in the, 19, uh, in, in the 1920s, in this era right here, I, I think that the takeaway is this. If I saw Violet Jessup anywhere near a ship that I was boarding, I would turn and run the other way. Now this morning we're going to look at a gentleman in the Bible who also had three major incidents while at sea. It's the Apostle Paul. And, and the Apostle Paul talks to us in, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. He, he states some of the things that he struggled with while out preaching the gospel. The first thing being that he says he was beaten with rods. He was once stoned with rocks. He was shipwrecked three times. One of those, he was at sea for 36 hours hanging onto a piece of wreckage. That means he was there overnight in the dark waters of the ocean. How terrifying is that? Speaking of Shark Week coming up. It's awful. And so we're going to be in Acts 27. This was the beginning of the final journey on the ocean in Paul's life. And so as you're turning there, I want to give you a little... little uh, uh, just backstory of what's happening here. Paul's been arrested in Jerusalem, and he has spent two years here in um, Caesarea, and, uh, and it was discovered that while he was in prison there, there was a plot to kill him. Now, Paul's just trying to get a fair trial at this point. And so what's happened are these trumped-up charges of Paul. The, gov the Jewish leaders are trying to get the governor to lean to their side to, to find him guilty and he wants no part of it, not unlike what happened to Jesus, right? And so Paul's starting to lose a little bit of hope. The old governor leaves, a new governor comes in, so Paul regains his hope that he's going to get a fair trial. But the new governor starts to lean, and he's persuaded by the Jewish leaders as well to try and, and find Paul guilty. And so Paul is starting to lose hope, but he thinks of one more thing, and he does this. He pulls out his draw four card. Now, Paul's draw, I mean, have you ever, you know what it's like, right? You know that feeling of power that comes over you when the person to your right or left is down to their last card, and it's your turn to, you draw this? I mean, the feeling that comes over you. I'm about to change the fate of this person on my right or left. It's going to be great. Paul pulls out his draw four card. His draw four card was, was simply, he leaned in on his Roman citizenship. See, Paul was Jewish, but he was a citizen by birth. And so he appealed to the highest court. He appealed to Caesar to get his trial heard. And so therefore, it goes through the system. They can't argue with him. And that's what happened. And this, this he gets put on a ship and sent to Rome to have his trial heard. Now, this plays very well into the providence of God. Because if you remember... Paul, when he was back in Ephesus, says, I'm going to go to difficult places to preach the gospel that all men may know who Jesus is. I'm going to go to this city, I'm going to go to this city, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to crawl right up into the heart of the beast, and I'm going to go to Rome, and I'm going to preach the gospel, because that's what God wants me to do, because I am called to preach the gospel. Now, it is great, because that's what ends up happening in the long run. This is the providence of God, because, because not only is he going where God told him that he was going to go, 
Because, because when he was arrested, that's what he, he had a dream. God came to him in a dream and said, Paul, don't worry. I'm going to send you where I told you I'm going to send you and confirm that in his life. And he did. And the great thing is that he ended up going to Rome and preaching the gospel. And guess who paid the tab for him to get there? Caesar. That was his draw four card. So we, we get here and we say, man, I, I, and I would encourage you this. This is what this speaks to me is that, that if God has placed a dream or a passion in your life, just like Paul, even though it didn't seem like it was going to happen, hang on to that dream. Because God says, he who began a good work in you is going to be faithful to complete it. So if, God's, if that passion and that dream that's in your life, if that's from God, you hang on to it. And you stay after, you stay with it. So who, is, who all is on this ship um, that's going with Paul? Paul's being shipped there. Um, you know, one time uh, when in all of this, before, while he was put in prison, and the reason he was put in prison was because at one point, like Paul, Paul was told not to go into Jerusalem and preach, right? He was told, like, skip that. You shouldn't go there. But Paul says, I got to go there. And so he does. An angry mob comes after him. And, and, and I mean, literally, they're literally like trying to tear his skin off. They're after him. And the Roman soldiers at one point are hoisting Paul above their heads to, for his own safety. And they take him and place him in that jail cell. And that's where God spoke to him in a dream and said, I will be faithful to complete that dream. There are a number of people that are on the ship with Paul. So he's getting shipped to Italy. So you guys ready to go? All right. Come aboard. Here we go. There's a Roman centurion, Julius, and they say, Julius, we need for you to take Paul and get him safely to Rome. And Julius said, you know, he's trying to work his way up the, up the totem pole, and he says, sure, I'll, I'll do that. How hard can it be to get Paul to Rome? And at that point, someone should have stepped into Julius's life and said, have you ever heard of Violet Jessup? But no one did, so Julius steps up for the challenge, and, and with Julius is about 100 of his soldiers. And, and Paul, because he was a political prisoner, because those charges had not been... been come to fruition yet against Paul, he's, he's got a little more freedom. He's got more liberties than these other condemned prisoners that are also on the ship with him. And he's able to travel with an entourage, and in his entourage is Aristarchus, his personal assistant, Luke, who wrote Acts and is Paul's biographer, if you will, and uh, wrote one of the Gospels and was a doctor by trade. And then Theophilus, and, and Theophilus, we think, is the one who actually lent his personal physician to Paul. You say, why would Paul need a doctor and the answer is, is, if you went out and preached the gospel all the time and you kept getting beat up, you would need a doctor also. I mean, it was like we'd send Paul, they'd send Paul out and he would go a couple rounds, right? And he would, he would get beat up preaching the gospel. He'd come back in and they'd fix him up. They'd hydrate him. They'd wipe him clean and the bell would ring. We'd send the Paul back out and he'd go out and in a couple more rounds, he'd come back in. It wasn't just a doctor. He was more like a cut man at a boxing match. So we're headed to Italy. Verse 9, pick, we pick up here. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury, much loss, not only of the cargo, of the ship, but also our lives. You see, Luke was a doctor. He always puts that extra detail in there. So thank you, Luke, for the fact that we're going to be losing our lives along with this. Paul lets the other guys know at this very point, Paul is saying, Look, I've... I've been on a few adventures across the sea myself. Paul's pulling the stop chain here. He's like, look, I'd like to weigh in on the course that you have charted for us. This isn't good. See, they had made it to, to Fairhavens in Crete. 
but they're wanting to push on. The sailors are wanting to push on. And, and Paul's like saying, I don't think this is a good idea. This is dangerous. In fact, the, the route that they're taking is deemed dangerous by September and impossible by November. And we think it was early October, mid, uh, early to mid-October at this point because it's the mention to Yom Kippur, which is the, the only Jewish uh, feast where they fast. And so we think it's early to mid-October. And honestly, they really shouldn't even be setting out on this voyage at this time. But... He wasn't the only one with an opinion about what they would do. Look at verse 11. Nevertheless, the centurion Julius was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than the things spoken by Paul. Well, of course he was. These guys sail all the time. He'd listen to them. Why was he going to listen to Paul? Paul's just a man of God. He's just a preacher man. What does he know? And Paul, this goes back and forth, and Paul is trying to speak not only from experience of the sea, but he's a man of God. He's got God's ear in that moment. He's trying to speak wisdom to this situation. And they're not having it because oftentimes, think about it, the wisdom that comes from God goes against conventional wisdom. It says what the culture says. And these guys, they're all like, no, 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 we can press on. We can push on, we can go further. This is gonna be great. Look at verse 12, it says, and because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Listen, nobody thought that they could make it all the way to Rome. That wasn't the, the controversy here. The, the controversy was, do we stop in Fairhaven and winter here, or do we go over here, push on 60 miles up further to go to Phoenix and winter here? And Paul's weighing in, saying we need to stop here and not go to Phoenix because it's a dangerous time of the year to be traveling there. That's the bottom line. What's the difference in these two places? Well, for the sailors, they're like, oh, no, no, this is a small harbor, this is a small place, not much to do. Phoenix was like Las Vegas, and they're ready to go. I mean, it'd be like me coming to you this morning and saying, where would you like to leave for vacation tomorrow? Picturesque San Francisco or Fremont, Nebraska? I mean, if you love corn, take curtain number two, right? They have a Walmart there. And in that Walmart parking lot, there is a sign that says tractor parking only. I've seen it with my own eyes. And so this is the controversy. I mean, these sailors, they're ready to go. You know, they want to get off the ship and just go on a bender until it's time to get back on the ship and continue on. They're like, yo ho, yo ho, to Phoenix, we must go. Paul's like trying to speak wisdom in their life. <clears throat> and the question is, should we stay in the safe place or risk the ocean to get to Phoenix? And the centurion, centurion, convinced by the majority, ignored what Paul, the minority, had to say in that moment. Which leads us to our first point this morning. For you and I as Christ followers, we need to stay in the current of wisdom. And we look at the Bible, we look at God's word. You and I are put in this position every single day. Whose voice will we listen to? Because the Bible says that the majority is almost always incorrect. The Bible says that the majority is almost always wrong. Because what happens when you vote in the Bible, when the, when the majority votes in the Bible, you end up running around with your clothes off worshiping a golden calf. 
When the majority votes in the Bible, you stay back and don't enter the promised land out of fear. When the majority votes in the Bible, you get sold into slavery. When the majority votes in the Bible, you get wiped out in a flood. Paul's trying to speak wisdom and keep them inside the currents of wisdom. The Bible says that the way that seemeth right in man, but the end thereof are the ways of what? Ways of death. The Bible says that the uh, what seems right to a man leads to destruction. It's the narrow road. It's the narrow road that leads to eternal life and life more abundantly. And what they should have done was that they should have listened to the wisdom of Paul in this moment. Say, Rob, aren't we supposed to live our lives with abandonment for Christ and risk everything for the sake of the God? Only when it's to seek out and to serve someone else. Not so it's that you and I have more comfort. Not so that it's you and I have more, more entertainment. Not so that you and I can go on our, on our own bender and our, our own wild time. It's, it's, there's a time to risk the ocean, to say whatever happens, happens. I'll go to jail, I'll go to prison to share the gospel for the sake of Jesus Christ. But we're also to be wise stewards. We're also to be shrewd servants with what God has given us. And not in a, in a moment's notice, just throw away everything that God has given us, but to have something to show for our lives. And, and, and wisdom is the knowing the difference between the two. And in this moment, Paul's trying to speak that wisdom. This summer in student ministries, our theme has been the sound. And we've been trying to teach students and challenge them to hear God's voice amidst and to find the truth in God's voice amidst all the distortion that's in our culture. And so I've asked Amanda Holton to come up this morning just to share um, about her experience at Infuge a couple weeks ago when you guys prayed us off to, to, uh, um, to Nashville, Tennessee on that, that mission trip. And so I've asked Amanda to come this morning to share about an incident and a story of her experience. All right. Hi, everybody. My name is Amanda. I went to Infuge and I had no clue what it was going to be like because I've never done anything like that. I just signed up because, you know, I always go to Northland trips. I love Northland. So we get there, and it's like a serving thing. I thought it was just going to be like a camp, a camp for us and stuff, but we go there, and we, like, get to be separated into different groups. And I got separated into Games and Rec, and Games and Rec is, like, playing around with kids. So I was like, I got that, you know? Like, I do children's church, and I do Saturday lug. So, like, I'm a pro at kids. I can do it. And then everybody else gets like evangelism and social and they were like challenging themselves and I was like, oh, maybe I should have challenged myself. Like I just am doing the normal thing that I always do. Like I'm just going to be going through the motions this week and I guess that's going to be it. And I was pretty bummed. I was like, oh, well, I guess there's not going to be any growth for me. But then the first two days we get to our community center it's like with like these kids all like so many kids just come running at us with like big smiley faces and we just play them play with them and we do like jump rope oh my gosh jump rope <laughs> you can really feel jump rope in the legs after you do it like a hundred times it was so fun though the first two days were easy it was a blast I was like okay if I can't talk to God about these kids I'm like I'm just gonna play with them and give them the love that they need and then the third day it was like this new community center that we were going to, and I was like, a new one? I already started like making friends and like new kids over in the last one, but they're like, okay, today you are gonna talk to a kid and you're gonna pray with them and you got this, that's the challenge. And I was like, huh, that's funny. You think, I can't just like go up to a kid and just start talking to them about God without like a relationship, you know? So I get there and there's like no little girls anywhere. And I was like, oh, 
I don't, I can't talk to these older kids. They're all playing like basketball. And I was like, I suck at basketball. I'm not good at basketball, you guys. I am not good at basketball. So I was like, oh, I guess I'm just gonna go sit with my friend over here. And, and if there's something we can do, then I guess we'll do it. And then my, my college student leader, Caitlin, she comes up to us and she's like, you guys, three little girls just walked in, like go talk to them. And I was like, they don't look like they wanna talk to anybody. And then she's like, no, 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 go pick around the soccer ball. So I was like, Okay, so we go kick around the soccer ball, and it's like this little girl comes and just grabs my hand and just pulls me over to this um, seat, and uh, she just instantly starts just talking about her entire life. And I was like, oh, thank you, God. We got a nice outgoing girl. She's going to come and talk to me. I don't have to do anything. She just came up to me, and I was like, this is perfect. I can just talk to her about her life and, like, what's going on, like, soccer. She loves soccer, and she was so nervous about doing soccer for her high school, and she recently like had a lot of deaths in her family. So I was like, can I pray for you? And she's like, yeah, I go to church all the time. Let's pray and stuff. And, I, and then I prayed with her and I was like, yes, I did it. I did it. I did the challenge. And I was able to pray with this little girl. And I thought today was not the day, man. I was not going to be able to pray with any little girl. And she comes up and she just gives me the opportunity. God just like plopped her right in my lap. And I was like, okay, God, let's do it. And I pray with the little girl and it's so fun. Because like, Anything I did there, I could easily do here. Like evangelism, people went to a park and just went up to people and just started talking about Jesus. There's so many parks in Florida, so I can do that anywhere. It was so cool, because not only did I get filled up, I also got to fill up other people there too, and it was amazing. Yeah. Amen. Thank, you. thank you, Amanda. And, and thank you for when prompted you know, going and, and doing what God was calling you to do. So thank you for, for stepping into that kid's life. Somewhere, I couldn't find it, I, I have a picture of her praying with this, with this, little, uh, this little girl, and uh, it's, it's precious. And uh, so thank you for listening to, you know, the prompting of the, the Holy Spirit in that moment, stepping out of the comfort zone, right? Um, Northland, you would have been proud of these students, and they represented you well, they represented Christ well as they stepped out of their comfort zones and leaned in that week at, in, up there in Nashville at all these different mission sites. Um, so we continue on, like, listening to what Paul's trying to say here. And, and, and in verse 13 and 14, obviously the, the, the south wind blew softly is what verse 13 says. And we move to verse 14, getting back to our story here. It says, but soon a tempestuous headwind appeared called the Euroclidon struck down from the land. Now, I'm not a weather expert. I'm not a meteorologist. I think you know that. But when a storm, I do know this, when a storm gets a name, it's not good. I think we as Central Floridians know that. This, this word, Euroclidon, this, this, the word that he uses there, Luke uses there, is tempestuous. It, it comes from the Greek word typhonia. Do you know what two words we get from typhonia? Typhoid and typhoon. Neither one of them are good. This is not a good situation. Both of them, by land or by sea, we're, we're, we're going down. Verse 15, and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and we let her drive. First of all, he's not referring here that a female uh, captain has now taken the helm. He's referring to the ship. We let her drive the boat, an inanimate object. Do you know what happens when we stop listening to the leadership of the Holy Spirit and we just let the boat drive? We just do what we do, Rob, okay? We're just gonna go where we go. That's when we start to get pulled away into currents and down tributaries where there may be no return. I mean, that's the life of dogs, right? Just do what I do and go where I go. 
That's not what God is calling us to. God is calling us to stay in those currents. Continue on, verse 16. Running under the shelter of island Clauda, um, we secured the skiff. After they had hoisted, hoisted it up, they used supporting cables and undergirding the ship. What's going on here is that, that they're heading to this course. They're now, they're now tempest-tossed. They're all over the place. They have no control of where they're headed. And what they're doing is this process now called frapping. They've allowed all the prisoners to come out and help. And so they're taking these cables and they're wrapping this big wooden ship up. Why? Because they're heading to a place called the Sirtis Sands. They know it's ahead. And they're out of control and they're heading there at 40 miles an hour. And when a, a, a vessel that big, 100 foot long, and, 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 and is heading that way, the Sirtis Sands were like under, underwater sandbars that you could not see. The nickname for that place was the Graveyard of Boats. At this point, the prisoners are probably saying, hey, that's not on our itinerary. What's going on here? It wouldn't be on mine either. And so they're wrapping the ship in hope that it just holds it together and that it just doesn't explode in, into 100 pieces and they, and they die in that moment. And so they're going through this process and we, we continue on and, and you're looking and seeing what's happening. In verse 18 and 19 it says, because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, typhoon thrown, literally they lightened the ship. Luke says, on the third day we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. This is all hands on deck, letting everyone out, grab what you can and throw it overboard. Which brings us to the next point. Sometimes it's better to be lighter. Lighter is better. It, it, it displaces less water and allows the ship to come up a little bit in hope that they may not hit some of those sandbars. And this process is called, um, or going lighter is better. You know, one of the things we learn here is this in the storm, and you and I have been through storms, and we understand this, that in the middle of the storm, money doesn't matter. Material things doesn't, they don't matter. And these merchant marines who had all this money and this equipment and this, this supplies and everything, it was valuable to them. And, but in light of the value of life right now, it's not important. And they're lightening the ship. They're jettisoning the cargo. You can always go faster and further when you become lighter. And that's how it is for you and I. When we, when we keep our eyes on Jesus, when we keep our eyes on the things that are important in our life and not get caught up with all the other things, all the things that distract us. Hebrews 12 says, as we run the race, throw off everything that entangles, every sin that, that hinders us and run the race that is marked before us. And listen, you may be here this morning and you may say, you say, man, yeah, I'm, I'm being held back by something. Listen, for you, maybe, maybe it was a relationship or a marriage that didn't go the way that, that you wanted it to go. Maybe it didn't end like you thought it was going to end, but that marriage is not your life. And so I'm asking you this morning to take that, you know, you're, that's not your life. Christ is your life. So I'm asking you this morning, throw that overboard. You don't need that anymore. It's time to keep going. That, that business venture, that dream job that you had that ended unexpectedly, that was your whole dream. Guess what? That is not your life. Jesus is your life. He says, come to me, all who are heavy laden and have burden. I will give you rest. It's time to throw that over this morning. And for others who have different things going on in life, maybe you have insecurities, anxieties, these expectations maybe that you or someone else has placed on you, guess what? Those are not going to hold you back anymore because you are not enslaved to those anymore. Throw those over this morning and get ready. It's time to go lighter. And the last thing is this. If you're suffering or dealing with an addiction your whole life and it has enslaved you, guess what? That that is not your master this morning. Jesus is your master, and he is calling you home this morning. Throw that overboard. It's time to go, it's time to go lighter. It's time to go faster. Listen, we can't, you can't change your past. 
but you can give God your present, and he can change your future. Amen? That's the kind of God we have. And I don't like to see, and God doesn't like to see when we get caught up by all of this, when we get weighed down by all these things, those broken dreams, those regrets, we've got to let those go. God has something greater for us. He's not done with us yet. He's got something greater. Lighter is better. These next few verses go through and talk about, even give more detail about the dream. And it actually mentions Caesar's name. And so Paul's thinking like, wow, not only is this a dream, now I know I have an exact purpose of who I'm going to preach to. Which leads to the next point. That we need to stay the course. To stay the course, to be faithful. Verse 25, it says, so take heart, men. I love how Paul is just so general here. Take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. And what they have been told was, as Paul shared with them, hey, we're all going to make it. That's the good news. Okay, Paul, what's the bad news? Verse 26, however, we're going to run aground on a certain island. So, (laughs) Captain Encouragement here. Guys, we're going to make it. But it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. And for some of us, as we have to let some of this stuff go, it may, get, it, may be, it may get a little harder, it may be a little worse before it gets better. But it's got to start now. We have to stay the course, and that may be part of the course for us. So as you know, as the story plays out, the ship does run aground. The waves start to, to batter it, bust into hundreds of pieces, People are jumping overboard. They're just swimming. Guys who can't swim are told, hey, just hang on to something and just, just kick. Everybody help everybody. And Paul's holding on to that promise that everybody's going to be okay. And they get washed up on an island called Malta, which means island of refuge. Coincidence? I don't think so. And, and the natives on this island, the natives on this island, they, they receive them well and they, they help everybody get to, to safety and they start building a fire that these guys could come and gather around and, and warm up from the cold waters of the sea. And, and as they're, they're doing that, Paul grabs a, a, a bundle of wood and throws it on the fire. And then in that moment, a viper jumps out of the fire and grabs home and latches on, onto his hand is hanging there. And everybody takes a step back like, what is going on? And these natives are like looking at him like thinking like, oh, he's going to swell up and drop dead in a heartbeat. Meanwhile, the viper's just hanging off Paul's hand. He's like, anyone? Anyone see this? I mean, honestly, like Paul's got to be at this point thinking like, seriously, God, I survived three shipwrecks and you're going to take me down with a viper. So it was in this moment that that promise, that that purpose was fulfilled. Paul shook off the viper. The viper falls and the fire burns up. All of those native guys are like, whoa. And as time went on and they see that he didn't drop dead, Suddenly they think that he's a God. And Paul uses that platform to share the gospel. They take him to their leader. The leader's dad is suffering, is about to die. Paul heals him. Then everybody starts bringing in everybody they know that has some kind of affliction. And Paul heals them. Paul shares the gospel with them. And isn't it like our God? That in the moment when Paul thought he was going to face a a definite 100% death, I'm going down with a ship moment that hours days later 
he is put before these people and they think he's a God for the platform for the sake of the gospel. That's who our God is. He is with us in the storm. He is with you in the storm. My wife and I have had our own uh, storms these past couple of months, actually. The, um, as an only child, I've, I've got a set of parents that are right here that have always been in, involved in ministry with me and uh, love them to death. And uh, uh, recently, last month, they suffered some health issues. In fact, both of them were in the hospital at the same time. And, and I'm going through this, and, and, and I'm an, as an only child, it's, it's like I've got to make all the decisions. I've got to come up with all the solutions. I've got to, I've got to come up with all the answers. And, and, and it's just my wife and I, we're struggling and we're suffering through this and we're trying to figure out what's next and where, where are the answers coming from? And God, really, the timing, both of them at the same time, really? And a, a few weeks ago, and, and, and now they're, they're, they're a little better, they're still dealing with stuff, mamas, and they're both in different rehab uh, centers and they're, they're on two different ends of town. And so we're running back and forth, uh, trying to make this work, trying to make this happen. And, a couple of weeks ago, we had just left mom, where it was at the end of the night, and we'd put her in this, this new place, uh, rehab center, and, and, and we're really just concerned about it. And I'm trying to leave, and I'm trying to hold it together. My wife's trying to hold it together. I'm trying to be strong for mom, and who's sitting there in her, her wheelchair. She's got Parkinson's, dementia has set in, and you can hardly hear it when she talks. And my wife's trying to hold it together, and, and we're, you know, we're, it's just in the moment. And, and, um, and it was in that moment, I guess, you know, moms have a way, right? Like they just know something's, something's not right. And my mom reached up and grabbed our hands as I said, Mom, we're, we're going to go. We, we, we'll come back first thing in the morning. And she reached up and grabbed our hands. She said, can I pray for you? <laughs> really? I mean, this whole time, this whole thing, we've, Audra and I have been trying to figure out, like, where, where's the answer? How are we getting through this? God, give us a sign that we're going to make it through this storm. And my mom in her situation says, can I pray for you? And so, <laughs> absolutely. And we sat back down and, and she grabbed our hands and she starts praying vocally, out loud, for us, for the next 10 minutes, this beautiful prayer. She was praying for us, that we would have guidance, that we would gain wisdom through this moment. And then she turns it around and starts praying for the people that are in that rehab center for her, with her, that God would use her <laughs> to share the gospel with them. I'm like, God, there it is. You are here. And then for us, that was, that was a sign. And, and in that moment, we could sing. We could sing praises to our God, just like Paul did in the, in the midst of that storm. We could raise an alleluia in the midst of that storm. And I say that to encourage you this morning, that we're, regardless of where you are in this process, or maybe you're years removed and, 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 and you're leaning in, God, what is next for me? What are you asking me to do? Maybe this morning it, it starts with, with you committing to lightening the load. Maybe this morning for you it starts with saying, leaning in a little more and going, God, what, what is it? What have I not been doing? But just know this, that in the midst of the storm, God is with you God will be faithful to see you through it. Let's pray.
God, we admittedly come before you this morning and we don't have the answer for everything in every moment. But we know that we can confidently come to you. For you're the ultimate physician, you're the ultimate healer. You're the ultimate comforter in the storm. Father, you loved us so much, you sent your son Jesus who came and he calmed the seas. God, that's what we need in our lives is for someone to step in to our space and to calm the seas in the midst of our storm. God, in these next moments as we sing, Lord, may we recognize the fact that you are with us in this storm. And may this be our anthem as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen.